Kiss me, fat boy. 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 Warning: The following podcast contains explicit themes and language. It is not suitable for sensitive and younger viewers. It also contains themes that could be triggering for some individuals, especially in this one. It contains um, the death of many people, including a small child. So please um, proceed with caution, and there's also some cannibalism in here. Um, There is also, I think, harm to animals if you're really sensitive to that. We are not affiliated with Stephen King or any of the entities that publish and release his works on various platforms and various manners. We are also, um, this is just the opinions of those who say them. It's not affiliated or opinions of this platform, the sponsors, or anyone else than those that say it. And this is a spoiler warning. You've been warned, okay? This is um, this is going to contain spoilers for the book or the named work for this podcast, plus cross-references throughout the Stephen King universe. You've been warned. Okay, Serena's here today with Luciano. Say hey, Luch. Hello. We are here to talk about Pet Cemetery, and um, some people who follow me on TikTok or have listened to my other podcasts um, building up to this, we were going to do this as a Halloween special. Um, you know, obviously, we're doing this ahead of time, but when I actually got into the book and I saw how much it deals with grief and loss, and it was just too dark and heavy, so I decided I was not going to use that to be uh, the Halloween special, because I want the Halloween special to be about being scared, not about depressing things like this. So I'm just, we're going to do something else. I've got a couple ideas, um, and we'll work on that later. So, But this is going to be uh, just something we're doing now. So today we're doing Pet Cemetery, the book, okay? And um, Pet Cemetery has a movie, and I've seen the movie first. And after reading this book, I can say that the movie is better. And I hate both the movie and the book. Not because it wasn't good, but because of the ending. Um, the ending of this book completely shocked me. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you are interested, you need to stop this podcast right at this moment. Go read or listen to the book on Audible or some kind of whatever you got to do. Read it, listen to it. Then come back because the book is, is so different and so much richer than the movie in certain ways that I don't want you to ruin it. So you've been warned like twice now, and Luch is my witness. So anyway, okay, so we're going to proceed going through this, and um, it's a very interesting book. Let's do a little bit of the background. Uh, Stephen King wrote this book, and he says personally this is the scariest book to him that he's written, and I can understand why. He said that he was inspired by they lived near a very busy street and his youngest son Owen when he was about the age of the character Gage two or three ran out towards um, the street a bit during you know busiest time and he barely caught him in time so this book is um, based on his fear of what could have happened if he uh, lost his kid Uh, he has three kids Uh, I didn't realize he had a daughter (laughs) I'm just not with it okay like I said this is a book club not a fan club um, he has a daughter named uh, Tabitha. Then he has Owen and what's the other guy's name? Oh, is it Jonah? Jonah Hill? 
goes by. He's yeah, I think that's his name. They're um, the two sons are, are are writers, just like the dad. The daughter is um, she is not necessarily like a fiction writer. I think she does a lot of theological. She she went to seminary, and she's a pastor, um, and married to another. I, I think they're married in a part or a partnership with another um, pastor. Uh, female, if if that's what I'm just assuming that I don't know if that person will how they identify, but I believe it's. I mean, I'm just gonna guess on that. Well, anyway, it's a unitarian. No, what is it called? Is it Unitarian that people believe that? Is that Unitarian where they believe that um everybody's saved at the end? No, Universalist. Universalist Unitarian. She's either Universalist they're, or Unitarian, or is that the same thing? They're called Universalist Unitarians. Okay, well, that's what kind of church she yeah. is involved with, and her life partner, they're both ministers. Um, and so, as far as I know, she's still married to that person. Um, it's very interesting. She just, you know, she keeps to herself, and she's involved in the religious part of this. And the reason why I bring her up is because she also inspired... The Ellie, the character of the daughter, getting upset about the cat. The literally the line where God can have, God doesn't need a cat; he can't have mine. Jumping up and down. That was something that actually happened with with uh, his daughter. I said, her, "What did I say?" His daughter's name. His daughter. Tabitha. That's his wife. That's his wife's name. What's his daughter's name? Goodness, I'm sorry about that. Naomi, which is another nice biblical name. Um, he goes on the record and says, you know, that this was the scariest book to him, and I and I can understand why. 374 pages. It was published uh, November 14th, 1983. It was something that was sitting in a drawer, and that just shows you he didn't want to release this. He just kind of had it that he created, but he had switched companies, publishing houses, and he had was he owed them one more book, so he pulled this out. And they worked on it, got it ready for publication, and it went. And I think this book is one of the few books he had that didn't have the N-word in it. Um, of course, it was all white people, and it's set in Maine, like always. There's some Native American references. And um, so the, the Mi'kmaq tribe is up near Canada, so there's references to them. They're um, First Nations peoples of the northeastern woodlands. So, you know, Maine is up there right next to Canada, so a lot of that stuff. And the reason why they're important is not only this idea of the Indian burial ground, and I'm using those words quoting that terminology. I'm not trying to make anybody feel weird. But we've all heard, oh, this was buried, quote-unquote, this is buried on an Indian burial ground. You know, we, I'm, not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to make anybody feel weird. I'm just saying that was like an old expression. So he went with that uh, theme was that, but he went deeper with it. He wasn't being, in my opinion, of course, I can't speak as a person from that tribe or any kind of tribe, so they can uh, give me some input if they want to uh, come and let me know through um, our email or TikTok. If that if this offends you, I do apologize. I mean, Stephen King's really good at offending uh, races, so um, especially <laughs> black people. <laughs> But he also makes fun. He's also made fun of um, his characters. Have made fun of people for being uh, Hispanic. I think specifically Mexican and stuff like that. Um, but he, of course, he says, "What's well, my characters?" And they're bad guys. Of course, they're going to be racist. I guess is the. But anyway, there comes a point where you're just like, "Come on, you know." This family is a, a mom and a dad. Louis Creed, his wife, uh, Rachel. 
And then uh, they have two kids, a daughter named Ellie, who's based on his daughter, Naomi. Not purely, but you know what I mean. Um, and then Gage, which is uh, the, the son, okay? Then they um, have a cat. They bring a cat with them from Chicago. They move to Ludlow, Maine, which is near, right next to um, all these, you know, fake towns. Is Ludlow a real place? Let's see. Oh, it is real. That's good. It's actually a real place. So, Ludlow is actually a real place, so, but he puts it being near. So, this will kind of give you an idea if you want to look at a, a map. He puts it being really close to, like, his other places, Derry and all that. Um, Salem's Lot, because when she was driving through, when Rachel was driving, trying to get back to the, at the end of the book, I'm not trying to give too much away, but she was driving down, tr trying to get back from, I think, um, Boston or New Hampshire, and she passed, like, Salem's Lot, and she was like, oh, she was passing all these fictional towns that he created on the interstate. Yeah. So, you know, he's placing them um, there. But Ludlow, um, they move into a, a nice house across from this guy named Judd his, and his wife. What was his wife's name? Um, Rachel? No, that no, 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 Judd's wife, the one that died. Oh. Uh, Norma. Okay, so um, anyway, so Judd and Norma across the way. They're in their 80s. They are across the street from them, and um, Winston Churchill is the name of the cat. They call him Church. He's a big, fat cat. Well, he's not real big and fat yet, but um, they basically come to the decision right away that they need to get the cat fixed so he won't wander around and get hit. Because the first thing they find out when they get there, unloading their boxes and whatnot, and Judd is, and his wife, Norma, real friendly, uh, but she's got arthritis so bad she can't always come out. But Judd comes out a lot. He sits around. He's sitting on his porch kind of like there's even a comment that uh, Lewis makes. That he's was he watching? He's like sitting, watch, standing watch. It's just kind of like a, you know, foreshadowing because he just sits up at night and watches, you know, make sure nothing's coming out. We find out later there's nothing's coming out of that cemetery, you know. He gets warned right away by Judd. Lewis is told, hey, um, this street is super busy. Pets don't do well here, um, you know, and also watch your kids and so that's one of the first things and you know they just kind of have their life but things there's like all this backstory so um lewis is a professor at a college he was um appointed the director no he's not a professor he's a doctor that's right yeah, he's a doctor he's a doctor he was professor he was appointed to at the university of maine's camp campus as the um i guess doctor resident you know, yeah. and he comes in the first day at work, and this guy named Pasquale. Uh, Victor Pascal. That's it. Sorry. I knew she was saying it weird. The daughter was saying it weird. Victor Pascal comes in, and he got hit. He was jogging, and he got hit. So there's like this theme. There's a lot of people getting hit by cars, and there's a lot of death. So we're starting out. The first death is this Victor guy. He gets hit um, jogging, and... He has a head wound so bad that uh, Lewis could see his brains throb. Like I didn't know brains throbbed. I don't know if that's a thing or if he just said that to be yeah. extra. But it could be throbbing if it's like spazzing or something. I don't know what a brain does. It's not a muscle, so why would it be throbbing? I don't know. But anyway, he sees his brain, so he knows he's a goner. But then that guy has a moment with him, and he's like, stay away from the pet cemetery or something like that. And... Um, He's like, okay. And 
I think the first day they get there before he goes to work the next few days later, um, Judd had showed them around and showed them the pet cemetery. They walked out and looked at it, and it was spelled incorrectly, and the kids took care of it, mm-hmm. and it had been there for years. and Like, it had been there, you know, probably before even Judd was born. All the kids, and they had these um, concentric circles and spirals was the formation, which is interesting that it's circular because a regular cemetery is always squared off in uh, rectangles, you know, in these plots. But it's always squared off because the body has to lay in a rectangle. Even if it's not in a box, it's always squared off like that. But since pets are smaller in different shapes and sizes, they they got them in circles. So that's an interesting contrast right there. And um, so, and they see this tree fall in the back of the cemetery blocking a path. And you can see there's a path beyond it, a well-established path. And uh, Lewis asks, uh, Judd about it and he's like you don't need to go there just don't worry about it it's dangerous and Ellie was trying to climb on it and he said you know get down because if you don't you're going to fall and hurt yourself you know that's like uh, unstable because it's like part some of the trees are rotting so there's a big block so you couldn't go further on the path and he said he told Ellie promise me you'll never go out here by yourself and never ever come out at night or anything like that because you can get lost you got to stay on the path he kept saying that over and over again, stay on the path. So the whole family went out there with Judd that first day that they were there. And, you know, life goes on and everything, but that's when he goes to work. And then that Victor has that, he's about to die, and he grabs him and says, you know, warning about the pet cemetery. Right. Stay away from it. I don't remember exactly what he says, but it was just basically warning. And then that night, he has a dream where Victor comes to him again and is warning him, and he follows him up and shows him the the um, pet cemetery, and he's and he's talking about it and saying there's something horrible here. There's not it's not what it seems, and and so when Lewis wakes up that next morning, he gets up and he sees there's mud all over his feet. He had actually been out in the cemetery, slept walked out there. Wow. And there's that. like mud and, and pine straw, yes, and he's freaking out. So he's trying to clean this up real quick. So his wife doesn't see it. And it's a lot of this spending the whole book hiding things from his wife. And I think, you know, when you're in a, a partnership, marriage with somebody, your life partners, you've agreed to be with them. You do, if you start hiding stuff, that's a good red flag. You shouldn't be doing it, whether it's like an affair or Anything, drugs, alcohol, or walking in your sleep to a creepy place, you should probably, uh, you know, say something. But the backstory to his wife, Naomi, is not Naomi, that's his daughter. See, I'm, I'm getting all these names confused. His wife. Tabitha? No, 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 no. Lewis's wife. Oh, uh, what's her name? Rachel. 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 Yeah, Sorry, I should have wrote this out, but <laughs> I just finished it like two days ago, so I didn't think I had to. Okay, Rachel. So the thing about Rachel is she has this horrible phobia of death because her sister died when she was little. What was that sister's name? Do you remember? She was creepy. But anyway, um, Rachel's sister, um, she had spinal meningitis, Zelda. She had spinal meningitis, and she died when she was younger. Um, she was a child when she died, but she she de- she declined slowly and shriveled away in front of their eyes. She was alone with her sister, which is highly inappropriate for a ten year old to be alone with a 
dying sister when she died, and it never, like, she never got over it, and she ended up curling up kind of like the her back just kind of bowed, which I know nothing about this disease, but this is just his description through this character. She ended up kind of getting curled up like, like you would if your backbone couldn't straighten up again. And she was uh, turning blue or something like that at the end. She just looked horrible. The pain medicine didn't work. She screamed nonstop. But she was also gone pretty much insane. So she was taking it out on her family, doing things allegedly like peeing on purpose in the bed instead of using the bedpan, just things like that, and telling and um, saying horrible things like pinching her and stuff when they were trying to help her, just things like that. So her whole life... Rachel was plagued with these nightmares of Zelda coming to her saying she's next. She's going to take her and, and make her back bend. And um, she had these, Rachel is Jewish, and she had these, uh, her parents had gone to Passover service or Passover dinner at someone's house and left her by herself with Zelda when she died. And they were very rich. And when, he, when Lewis was dating uh, Rachel in college, uh, he basically, the dad tried to buy him out. Like he was going to write him a check for like $10,000 or whatever, which would be a lot of money in the 60s or 70s. But, you know, get away from my daughter type thing. Right. Here's a check. You know, everybody would like to believe that they'd say, yeah, I'll take the money. When you go back and look, oh, I could have been with somebody, and then you broke up with them anyway. But when you're young and in love, and you have your principles, and you yeah. think one day, especially for your doctor to think, I'm going to make money. I don't need this Jack uh, to try and tell me something. So I can see why he didn't take it. Um, anyways, but because of that, they never talked. The The mom was nice, but she never, they had no relationship. And the daughter kept a relationship with them, but he would go, she would go visit without them. That's what she would do. So she went to visit. I think it was Thanksgiving, and uh, she and the cat had already been fixed. Church had been fixed, but he somehow he got pulled out and got killed while they were out of town. He was uh, Lewis was at home because he just was estranged; wasn't going to be around her family, and because uh, her dad was real mean and everything, and condescending even towards to the end. Mm. And so um, the cat gets hit, and Judd is just like. Let's let me show you where you should do, and he never tells him what he's doing. He just says, "Take the cat, come with me." Put it, and they put it in a gar- green garbage bag, and they get shovel or something like that, or maybe they just do it with their hands. I think. Um, anyway, so they get up there, and he's and he's like climb over this uh, tree fall, and he's like, "I thought it was dangerous." Like, no, you'll make it, and because you know when. You're meant to be there. You can get over that rotten thing. But if you're not meant to be there, you could climb it a hundred times and never get over it. So um, he tells him, he's like, he doesn't explain to him anything about it. He has him do it first. Then he explains. But I think Lewis on some level knew because he had been warned by Victor Pascal, right? Pascal? Yeah, Pascal. Pascal, okay. He'd been um, warned by him. In the dreams, and he had multiple dreams, I believe. It wasn't just the one, and uh, he still didn't. He just went ahead and did it, so um, he went, and they buried the cat, and then that's when Judd decided to tell him about the power of the of the um, pet cemetery and about this Wendigo. 
Now, the Wendigo is the biggest surprise of the book. It's never, ever covered in the movie. The movie focuses on the kid, and the movie makes it seem very different than the book is. Um, and I, I think, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, other than it didn't. It was a good book, but it made me mad. That's why I don't like it. It's not because it wasn't a good book, and it was very interesting, all the stuff about the Wendigo. And he just told them, and there was something out there with that night when they went out there. There was fog and something, you know, I'm not really sure exactly what St. Elmo's fire is supposed to be. I've heard of it. It's kind of like this light, right? Isn't it just like a fake light? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> is it a light? It's a light that... Uh, it's a ghost light, right? Yeah, it's a light that, like, sailors go towards, but they end up yeah. hitting rocks or whatever. Yeah, okay, that's right. Kind of like a siren song, but yeah, just so, a light. He, so Judd makes a bunch of excuses saying, you'll see shapes, you might even see faces. Don't look at them and they'll go away. Keep walking if you hear noises. It's just the loons out from somewhere. Um, it's just the sound carries, which I don't know what a loon is. I think it's, is it a type of bird? Yeah. And so, they're, and it sounds like a laughter. He hears all these things and they, something as big is walking around. And I'm, you know, we now find out that it's the Wendigo later, you know. But he didn't see it. He sees it later, and there's a big reveal. So, if, like I said, I hope you read the book because it's completely different than the movie. Um, so, he gets to talking to Judd about it. And, of course, you know, after they bury him, they leave and they go to uh, their ha- I think they go to Judd's house and sit around and talk about it. And he starts telling him about the pet cemetery and how he had a dog. And he realizes that he had a dog that lived up like 110 years died of old age but then another um story had said the dog i think died of a broken neck then another one said the dog died in a fire like he was always changing the story and so that was you know something that lewis was like wait a minute i thought this but he told him he said so he told him about the story of how he buried his dog um his dad shot the dog because i think something got around his neck and uh like marked around his neck and he was dying I think it was like a chain or something got caught around his, the dog's neck and it was it was it, or no it was barbed wire got around his neck and he was dying so the dad put him out of his misery and he sent um judd to the store to go do something real quick while he shot the dog and when he came back he said bury your dog so uh judd goes and buries it um in the pet cemetery because this crazy guy in town approaches him and tells him come out side at night and I'll that night and I'll help you do something with your dog and the same thing happens where they don't tell them why they for some reason they go with them and they follow them to the secret the real cemetery um the Wendigo's uh burial ground I guess and that's when they tell the story of what it does afterwards and so, but he goes through the whole thing with Lewis. He tells him that story about how he found out about it. And he later apologizes to him and says, uh, you know, I didn't, I was, tr-. he said in the first conversation, which is very important, he said, I did this because Ellie was acting crazy. Ellie was acting crazy about the cat getting killed. And she's saying, you know, I don't want my cat to get killed. This is before anything happened. She's saying, let God have another cat this is mine she's freaking out and because of rachel's phobia of death she didn't want uh 
the daughter to have to Ellie to have to do anything with death. Like she was just shut as a shut down subject. Right. So it was just like he had all these weird odds against him and so Job was kinda like, It's time for her to learn, Ellie to learn to learn about death and find out that sometimes death death is better. You know, the alternative is not good. So he said, it's okay to put animals in there. Almost all the animals that everybody put in there have been fine. There was one bull. We have no idea how he dragged a bull over all that stuff, but that guy was able to do it. Of course, it's the magic of the Wendigo. Because the more animals he pulls in there and the more people he can influence, um, charges it up like a battery. So... Um, but that bull was uh, bit somebody, so he had to shoot it. And then at the end of this first initial conversation about the pet cemetery, Lewis asked Judd, have they ever buried a human? Because it's just like the natural thing to ask out of curiosity. And Judd gets real upset and says, of course not. You know, don't you have such a thing, you know? And so that's when Lewis is like, okay, obviously something bad happened, but I'm not going to press it. So the next day, he get he wakes up, and eventually that cat shows up, and it stinks. It stinks of the dirt of the earth, but I think it stinks of rot. They don't, you know, they don't exactly say what it smells like, but even when Ellie comes back, she's like, ooh, church, you stink, go away. But the cat was definitely different. Um, he noticed that the cat was not graceful. It did not land on its feet. It had a weird, all-knowing look the the eye, the way it looked at people was different it was creepy something was just creepy about it and i just thought it was interesting that um he didn't realize that it wasn't the cat that came back it was something else and i want to know preliminarily what do you think luch was in these things that came back well, when um, Judd, remember Judd had explained the first time that uh, that he knew of that a human was buried was a guy named Timmy. Yeah, but I mean, what do you think came back in them? Well, the the father says it was a demon. Yeah, and I don't think it's a demon. Uh, I think, you know what I think it's? I think it's a, uh, I think what came back was an empty husk, no soul. Yeah. Meaning uh, amoral. Not just immoral, but amoral, meaning yeah. no, no sense of of right or wrong or anything like that, and just indifferent to to life at all. You know. I don't know, because remember in, when Gage comes back, he's like, I'm back, old man. It's kind of like, I'm back, bitch. Remember that? It was a thing in Timmy came back in Gage, which we're jumping ahead, but I just want to do a preliminary, preliminary check with you. I think... That And we might talk it out and I might actually come to conclusion, but I have two, two ideas. I do not think it's demons, because that's too black and white for a Stephen King universe, right? I think that it is either, one, a piece of the Wendigo and other coming through people. Like, you know, kind of like, you know, that idea that he powers all these up and he's got them in there. Or... Because they're not very graceful, that I'm not really leaning towards that. Because the cat's almost—I feel like it was a human that the Wendigo touched. That you know how if he touches the Wendigo touches you, you become a cannibal, and they were buried there. That was like the cursed graveyard. That I mean, they don't say this out and out, but it's implied that this is the cursed graveyard, 
of the people that were touched by the Wendigo because they had to bury them to get rid of them, make sure they were dead. Because when the Wendigo touches you, you become a cannibal. Mm. So I think that, that what it was is if you get buried in there, one of those souls of those things that the Wendigo had affected jumped inside because it was like they were trying to figure out how to be an animal now. He didn't know how to walk. Remember, he went graceful. He's kind of trying to figure things out, but he understood everything that was going on talking about church. So I think that that they were like some supernatural, you know, kind of like charging their bodies because that's what I think. That's my idea. I think a demon is too black and white because the Wendigo has to have some kind of power, and there's no indication that the Wendigo has like little spirits that he puts. So that's not part of the the mythology. Right. So you think it's the uh, spirit of those who were dead who were touched by Wendigo? Yes, the cursed ones that were buried there because okay. they were like trapped in the ground. Right. Because there's just something so horrible about them, you know. And of course, they they. Things like, I just saw your wife in hell to judge and everything. Mm-hmm. So it could be that they're, but I feel like they're damned souls. Right. That's what I think. Because why bury them there? Why does it have to be that graveyard? Maybe that graveyard was uh, blessed or, you know, like a ritual over it that makes sure that the dead don't come back or something like that. You know what yeah. I mean? It's an Indian tradition or whatever yeah so maybe they did some kind of ceremony where if you're buried there you don't have to worry about coming back it's a it's like a trap or whatever for yeah. those souls that are but they didn't do but that if you, but if you don't bury if you bury someone who is not touched by a windigo then that body becomes a, a host body maybe yeah so. or they didn't do the ceremony to lock them in oh so they jumped into that first available oh, okay. body that that's it. a good theory because yeah. that's what i think i think it was like a like a jail for the cursed souls right, right they had to put them somewhere to get them away from their people they didn't want them to be in their graveyard right kind of like the idea is that catholics wouldn't give you a burial if you committed suicide back in the old days when yeah. they you know because you're damned or jews you can't get buried in the jewish cemetery if you have tattoos yeah certain things like that which i don't know how much of that it still happens i'm just saying and that's some of the traditions we knew about but anyway okay so going through this book so church comes back he creates them out he doesn't like it he didn't know what to expect but now he sees it you know well they come back um from their trip and ellie sees church and she's Really preoccupied is church okay, is church okay? So that makes Lewis think he's done the right thing. And um, he doesn't want to deal with his wife, Rachel, and her weirdness about death and all that kind of stuff. And um, everything seems great, except um, I think it was right before they left. The reason why it was an issue was during Halloween, uh, the Norma fell out and had a heart attack, remember? Right. And Lewis was there to help her. And Lewis was there to help her. And she was still in the hospital that day that he took him up to the pet cemetery. She's going to be home soon. That's right. So the point is is that that, uh, Rachel got upset about death because it triggered her. And she didn't want Ellie to be exposed to it because of what she went through with Zelda. And so, you know, it was kind of a weird. But, you know, people don't make sense when they have phobias. It's not like you can rationalize with a person. So the fact that this was going on with her makes sense. It's not anything crazy out of left field. Um, I know people who cannot go into a funeral home or even step foot in the building. Yeah. I know people who will, who will go into the building but not go into the room. I know people who will go into the room but not look at the coffin or, like, not look at the face. 
Yeah. They'll sit in the back and, and be respectful. So I've, I don't understand that because since I was a little girl, a big part of my social upbringing was going to multiple. I had my great-grandmother in my life, so we went to multiple funerals all the time because she was in her 80s right. and 70s when I was a little girl, 80s when I was a teenager. But we went to funeral after funeral for all her family members, so I just got used to it, you know. I didn't. I wasn't traumatized by death. The only thing I was ever told by my mother was um, don't touch them because they're so cold. You'll never get over that feeling of touching them. You'll never, like, be able to shake it. Mm-hmm. So I never touched them um, to this point. But I've never touched anybody dead to this point. But that's all. I mean, that will change. I know it will because when somebody I really am close to dies, I'm going to touch them. I know I will. Um, anyway... But yeah, death and dying is something I'm okay with. As a kid, it didn't freak me out. We, we used to play. We didn't call them cemeteries. We called them graveyards. I think it's maybe because it's at a church. Right. We used to play in the graveyard after church growing up. We'd go catch frogs and stuff and jump over the graves and not, not try to step on them and stuff like that. And, you know, once you redecorate them, that's a tradition down here called decoration. But anyway... Um, so all that happened, so he was basically trying to keep the world innocent for his wife and his daughter, and it backfired. Of course, later on, Judd admits that he don't know why he did it. He said he wanted, he kind of was being a smart aleck, saying that all that crap about she needs to learn about death one way or the other, but in the the truth of the matter was is that, that once he gave in and gave the Wendigo power it, by burying his animal, and I think he buried it, like, didn't he bury it multiple times or just once? Well, he might have buried it multiple times because he talks about the death different ways. Yeah, and I mean, he said he'd been up there four times. Yeah. So I was, that's one thing I was trying to figure out was that he keep burying that dog over and over again. <laughs> but, um, and say, maybe I'll try again, maybe it'll come back better. Yeah. But do you think that Judd had a premonition that uh, one of his, uh, one of Lewis's children would die? Because... He does the cat thing, and I'm wondering if he does. He, I mean, why, why, why tell him about the cat? You know, can come back to life if you're not trying to warn him that don't do this with a human, because it'll be the same result as the cat. Well, you I think the one of the big themes that they keep repeating over and over again is that if that you bought it, do you remember that they kept saying you bought it. So he's saying I bought this cat by what he did by bringing it back. He kept, that's what they kept calling it. So I think um, Judd had basically said, cried, and he was crying at the end and said, I caused your son to die as if I had killed him myself because um, the Wendigo caused all this, but it pulled me and forced me to do it. So the idea is that the Wendigo killed the cat and the child. And he says it charges up with power every once in a while, and I can feel it. So that's why he was sitting up. Um, at night, watching for it, watching for stuff to come out because um, you can feel it. Maybe? Yeah, he can feel it, but he's un- they're all. It's like almost like if you sign a contract with the devil type thing, you know, like that yeah. fictional idea. So do you think because, so you he, because he visited the cemetery and raised his dog that he was kind of linked to the? Yes, window? like he was kind of like its bitch. Yeah, he kind of owed it. You know. Like, he couldn't help it. He was compelled. It's like, once you give in, it's like signing a, a deal with the yeah, devil. Yeah, because they said that the... It was compelled to they, do those things. When, at the end, when uh, Lewis is carrying his wife's body, Steve Masterson, I guess, the uh, 
uh, Italian guy or whatever, he uh, wanted to run away, but he felt compelled to mm-hmm. go with him. So we wonder if he had a kind of a yeah, relationship with the uh, cemetery, too. Yeah, I think I think so. I don't think it ever... I think that if he ever went back and something happened, but at this point... That's another thing, is that the idea is how powerful is the Wendigo? Because it Steve went far away to, like, another state, didn't he, eventually? Yeah, he left. He went to St. Louis or something. Yeah, so the Wendigo's power extends across states, but, like, Pennywise's power only is regional, pretty much. I mean, when you leave the town, you forget... Just like the power of the Tommy Augers was regional. Right. So the idea is that the Wendigo is probably the most powerful bad guy in the Stephen King universe. If it, And it makes sense because he's got the ability. Life and death. Yeah, life and death, but also just the, he, can, he can reach across the country with his power. He's not limited to a region like Pennywise and the Tommy Knockers. And what was the other thing that we had that was kind of regional? The Shining, the... Um, the thing at the the overlook, it can reach across a little bit, but it has to be charged up. So the Wendigo is the same thing. That's yeah. his charging ground. That pet cemetery is his charging ground. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, um, what's his name? Um, what was the uh, character's name? The one that was in, he was in Miami, but he heard he heard from from not, yeah from Dick. T- yeah, Dick's uh, yeah. Shannon or something. But anyways, uh, he heard from uh, not Tony. What was that was Danny. Danny, he heard yeah. from Danny. Well, he Danny's really powerful. Yeah, he didn't hear from the. Over, I don't think he heard from the over. Yeah, the the Overlook Inn isn't as powerful, but it does get charged up. You know. Right. But you know, um, even in where was where did she go? Chicago. So she went to Chicago, um, Rachel went to Chicago to be with her family, and she could hear that thing in her mind saying, stay out of this you. Do you remember that? Stay out of this you. It was the Wendigo speaking to her mind and interfering with her whole journey back. Okay, so let's get back to the plot. Um, So the the cat's living its best um, cursed life, Mm -hmm. and uh, it's all leading up to this point. I mean, there's always... There's a lot of things of him playing with Gage and just all that stuff. But it leads up to the point where Gage gets hit. And it's really the ending of the book. Like, it's kind of like rewinds down quickly. So, um, they don't really describe the him getting hit too much. In, it's kind of like flashbacks here and there, which I think is a good way to do it with it being a, a child. But, um, so, does Norma die before or after Gage? Norma dies before Gage, right? So Norma dies first, and you think that Judd's going to put... she was too, The ground was too frozen to uh, bury her at that time, so she was put in a uh, mausoleum until that point, and then they buried her in the spring or whatever. And you keep thinking, is he going to put her in the ground, or is he going to sneak her off to the pet cemetery? But he doesn't. So the first death that we deal with, the book was that Victor guy. Well, Zelda, if you go back. Zelda, then Victor... And then the cat, church, and then um, Norma dies of her heart attack. Mm. I think it was a heart attack. She had a bad heart, so. Um, And then Gage dies. And, of course, and then Judd, and then um, what's Rachel. So all these people end up getting killed. It's just, like, a bunch of death and stuff, okay? So, um... 
what happens is is that Norma dies, and Judd doesn't put her in the pet cemetery like we keep thinking he's going to. But then after Norma dies, Gage dies. And Gage, uh, he decides he's going to do it. He wasn't going to do it. It wasn't, like, instantly going to happen, but he already kind of was building up because he got a certain kind of coffin that was easy to break in. And Judd ends up confronting him before he does it, tells him the story of that Timmy, what is his name? Mm -hmm. Timmy Richardson or something, something like that. Like that yeah. And um, Timmy he died in the war. Yeah, Timmy died in the war, and, and he came home, and the dad buried him. And he was just weird and freaking everybody he out. He came back and was telling everybody their secrets. And yeah, stuff. he was kind of like the main devil, like your mother sucks cocks in hell type thing. But he was like telling, like, yeah, I know your wife screws everybody. And it was true. It was like, well, he was accurately yeah. saying stuff. And um, so ends up, they wanted to kill him. They all knew about the pet cemetery, and they all know that his dad had done it. But when they got there, they realized that the dad had gone completely insane. And, of course, the Timmy got the Timmy thing, confronts all of them and tells them stuff. And they're like, it was so horrible. I don't want to ever deal with him again. And they all leave and kind of flee. And, uh, you know, it was traumatic. And it's hard for me to understand why it's traumatic because I've just been seeing so many uh, zombie movies and stuff. <laughs> But I get it. It's weird. But um, anyway, there's even mention of Lazarus from the Bible, like how he had to say Lazarus come forth because if he hadn't said Lazarus, yeah, everybody was stuck in, in the graveyard or whatever. So, um, you know, this is like a big time book of death. But the father ends up killing his son because, you know, you own it. So I think mm -hmm. he's probably the only one who could do it anyway. And so he burns the house down. He kills the son and then kills himself and he burns the house down. So he had to like make sure he's really dead. And it was just like, okay, that's traumatizing. I get it, you know. But he still goes off and he gets Gage and he describes pulling him up from the grave and everything. And it's very descriptive and very kind of like gross and traumatic. I'm not sure the descriptions of what he said happened would happen. But also, like, I don't know if moss would grow on a person that quickly. Yeah. But also, it's supernatural and the Wendigo's involved, so it might... The window goes just like twisting the knife, you know. Yeah. So he gets so many takes, so many bears him, and then he falls asleep. And he wakes up, and Gage has already come back and killed Judd. Uh, Gage and Church team tag team uh, Judd and kill him. He steals a scalpel out of Lewis's bag and stabs Judd a hundred million times. And he's all like, "I'm gonna get you, old man." You you fuck with me once, and I'm coming back again. <laughs> Do you remember that? He's like cussing him. And it, basically, he's the Timmy thing, come back. That's why I know it's something. But there's multiple people who have their animals living around. So I'm just thinking there's, multi, there's multiple spirits, you know. Right. I always thought it was something like that anyway, that it was bad people coming back. Even in the movie as a kid, I just thought that's what that was, you know. And so <laughs> so he kills, uh, they tag team Judd, and then... Um, Lewis doesn't realize, but the daughter has been having these. Ellie's been having these. I don't think she has the shining. I think she was used by the Wendigo the whole time. She, her freaking out about death, her acting weird about everything, being obsessed with church. I think that was all the Wendigo's influence. Right. And I think that she doesn't have the shining, but she was seeing these dreams. And then that uh, Victor tried to come and warn them, and then he came back and said, it's too late. You know, and he was, uh, they had a connection because he left his, his soul left his body when he was with them. 
and he wanted to try to help him, but he couldn't. So I felt like the goodness of Stephen King's universe was trying to intervene and protect him against the Wendigo, but uh, it didn't happen, you know. Right. And so Gage uh, is back, and he's hiding out at uh, Judd's house. So Rachel, because um, of all the nightmares and everything, Rachel calls Judd because uh, Lewis isn't answering his phone because he spent the night at a hotel hiding out doing his his dirty deeds in the cemetery getting uh, Gage's body out. So Judd was waiting for him to get back, but he fell asleep. The Wendigo made him fall asleep. And he also, because he even says that damn Wendigo made me fall asleep. <laughs> so um, a lot of things are spelled out, which I think is okay. Sometimes I don't like it, but it's a good to know that that's what happened. Right. Because, you know, people would think that if they know they're under the influence or something's working against them, they would think, I can't, people say the devil made me do it all the time. So sure. it's, it's, it's good to hear some of the thought processes. So Rachel's rushing down because Ellie's been having these bad dreams. And she tells, Rachel tells him on the phone, tells Judd on the phone what's going on. He said, come straight to me. Don't go to your house and we'll deal with them. And I don't think he's going to commit suicide, but let's just, I'll talk to you about it when you get here. And she told him the dreams and he knew what it meant. And, um, so she tries to come back and she's delayed. So there's this, you know, long scene of her getting through the airport, but her last connecting flight, she, they're like, if you'd been four minutes earlier, you would have made it. And so she ends up renting a car and driving. But one thing after another, her car quit working. The cable for the battery comes loose, which has never happens in new cars. Some guy helped her fix it, but every little thing she kept falling asleep almost just one thing after another. So when she gets there, she goes to Judd's house, and um, she gets killed uh, by Gage. And the thing that's horrible, she goes upstairs, and she sees, because Judd was killed in the kitchen. But she hears a noise upstairs, so she thinks Judd has fallen down. He's an old man, maybe fell down in the bathtub or something, broke his hip. I hear a noise. And she hears the cats inside, so she comes inside the house. And she and the cat leads her upstairs, so she's thinking the cat's trying to show me where Judd is. I mean, why would she ever guess in her wildest dreams that Gage would be back? I mean, this is not even anything she could comprehend, you know. So she goes upstairs into the bathroom and opens the door is Gage, but before she sees Gage, she sees Zelda, and Zelda's like, "I've come back to kill you, <laughs> you know. I've come back to take to bend your back and take me with take you with me." And she's like, "What?" So then she freaks out and gets defensive, but then she sees it's Gage, and once she sees it, she said, I don't understand why she, Zelda's wearing Gage's little tuck outfit he's wearing, buried in, and then she goes, then it becomes Gage, and she's like, oh, my baby, and she picks him up, and that's all we see. That's all we know. We just um, Then Lewis wakes up later, and he sees a car across the street. Um, his father-in-law calls and says, hey, she got there yet, and he's like, Oh, yeah, she's here, but she's at the store getting milk and bread. So he knew right then she was there across the street and that she was dead. So he goes across the street. He sees the little footprints and realizes his scalpel is gone from his his medical bag um, in the house. So he's like, Gage has been here. He goes across the street. But before he does, he he's because his whole thing was this. I will try to bring Gage back while they're out of town. He sent them over, sent them home with the grandparents, the right. parents. So he could do this experiment because he's like, I'm a doctor. I'll kill him again if it comes back as not him. And what was weird to me is that Lewis had in his mind that he was going to, even though he came back and he was basically going to be a zombie, 
He had it in his mind that Gage was going to continue to grow and be an adult. And I don't understand why he would think that. To me, it seems obvious that they're going to be stuck in the body. But who knows? What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. That would be interesting to see. With, uh, Especially that dog. Later or whatever. Yeah, because that dog died of old age. That dog died yeah. in a fire. That dog died of, you know. Yeah. So it's interesting. So I'm not really sure. So I wonder if they were actually reanimated, but just because their skin was healed. Like the story of that Timmy guy, mm-hmm. the skin was healed and puckered up and scarred up within, de- you know, one day, de- half a night of being in that burial ground. So I'm not so sure. He could probably age, imagine. Maybe. I don't know. But he had this ongoing fantasy of him taking him to Disneyland or Disney World. With Remember that? He kept dreaming about it over and over again. Of Gage and then Gage being an adult, Gage going to college, like he just and I thought, wow, that never comes to mind because I just think of this as kind of like a child vampire, you know, yeah. once a vampire, once a child, always a child. But I guess so. I have no idea, but it's interesting. Um, it wouldn't have happened anyway because these things are just evil. Which I don't see the point of all this if the Wendigo. I guess the Wendigo is just just such a bad per- thing. It's not a person; it's a thing. And of course, when. The big moment of truth is when when Lewis went and buried Gage, he saw the Wendigo, and he was so scared it was going to touch him, but it didn't. And then he buried the body and left. Um, and it's a very good description of the Wendigo. It kind of sounds almost like one of those plague doctors with the mask and the beaky face, because oh, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. and um, it's got like the horns, but it's kind of got like a bird skull face. It, but it also has skin with yellow scales and worms and pus was coming out from behind the scales. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, um, anyway, so I just I forgot to mention that there's actually a physical description of the Wendigo in there. And well, it's, sees a, them. it's interesting too because Wendigo is a, uh, you know, it's it's a lore. Yeah, it's a Native American lore. I'm not American sure where it, where it comes from. Whether it's in, in Native American, it's a Native American because uh, there's like a couple games that I play. There's actually one of you know the monsters is a Wendigo. Oh really? Yeah. So Wendigos are in games. You well, fight, yeah. You fight them. You know they're actually. Uh, you know you is got, it like that? Yeah, it's like you know you got trolls. You got yeah. this. You got that. So Wendigos are part of of gaming. Well, it's kind of like the monsters. chupacabra is down in Mexico. Mexico I think. Yeah. So I mean, everybody's got the regional things, but um, the one thing that Lewis so Lewis gets up the next day back to the present story. He goes across the street. He already knows what's up. He finds Judd. Um, oh, before he does come over, his experiment failed, and he realizes that, so he fills syringes up with morphine. Right. So, And he had told himself, I'll just monitor him. I'm a doctor. I can bring myself to kill it, him again if I realize it's not really him. But it didn't work out that way, and I guess that's one reason why maybe it backfired. Another reason is just the Wendigo is such a bad thing. It can only cause horrible things. Um, it's just to its benefit to let as many animals and people come back as possible, but for some reason. But when we find out the very end, we might see the the real long game, you know. So the very end of it makes a difference, so we'll have to revisit that in a second. But So Lewis goes over there, and he starts out by feeding Church, and then he gives him enough morphine to kill like a, two or three adults and. Then he moves on. The cat dies. He waits for the heartbeat to stop, and he dies. And he moves on. Goes in the house, and he finds Gage eventually. But he also finds his wife, and he could tell that something had been chewing on her. So Gage was eating her. 
So he was touched by the Wendigo. So that's why I think it's the cursed Wendigo uh, people trapped in that graveyard. Maybe that was a way to keep them locked in. Right. Why wasn't the cat eating? Well, the cat was killing and eating squirrels. And but I thought I, he was, from description, was that he, was, he was killing them but not eating them. I don't know. I don't know. He was eating food. Yeah, that's weird. I'm not sure. We see well, whatever was inside of Timmy. Maybe what was inside a gate of church was different. Right. But I still think it was a human who didn't know how to be in a cat's body because it was like all awkward and couldn't land on its feet. I'm not really sure. But um, anyway, so he finds Gage and, you know, the big showdown, and he ends up, you know, putting him down. And he burns the house just like, you know, just like Timmy's father. And that's when Steve shows up at the end, and he's like, where are you going? He's like, I got to go. And Steve, like you said, was compelled to follow him. But then later on, he doesn't really remember it. It's kind of like a dream. But, yeah, so at the very end of the book, uh, Lewis is burying Rachel. He's like, I waited too long with Gage, but this will be fine. So he buries Rachel in, in the pet cemetery. So maybe the Wendigo's game was to get Rachel to be animated because... If a child cannot grow older and people knew that the child was already dead and it was stinky and horrible and everything like that, then it wouldn't work. The problem is it won't work if people know they're dead. So it didn't have a chance to work with Timmy. Maybe that's why Timmy's whatever came inside of Timmy came back engaged. The animal thing worked because people, some people knew, some people didn't. But no one knew that church, except for Judd and Lewis, knew that church was brought back. Even though church always stinks, stunk, you know, since then. And they say stinks of the earth, but to me, dirt doesn't stink. So I'm thinking more decay smell. Yeah. But um, anyway, um, so that's the long game, and that's how it ends. Nobody knows what happened to Lewis. And I don't know if there's ever going to be a second story, because I don't know if Stephen King ever wants to revisit it. But he should think about it. He's getting. He probably has written something, and we just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. But so to me, that's really disturbing because I had no idea. Because in the movie, everybody lives except for Judd, right? And there was no wife, I don't think, in the movie. We'd have to, we'll have to rewatch it and do a podcast on it. But yeah, yeah I think that uh, the Wendigo so far, besides the turtle from it, because the turtle like birth or universe, seems like the Wendigo is the most powerful bad guy we've dealt with. The Crimson King is also up there around the flag, but the Wendigo is just something else. It just seems different than all his other stories. Um, I guess the Crimson King is probably the most powerful, you know, and then um, Randall Flagg, because he was part of that. But I would say the Wendigo's probably shoulder to shoulder, or maybe one level down from Randall Flagg. Well, the, the Tower books, what's the uh, what's the the uh, evil there. Crimson King. Is also the... That's the Crimson King. Is it okay? There, I hadn't got to the end of them yet, so I don't know what the to- all the way, but the Crimson King is the one who's trying to bring down the towers and in all time of existence. It's, he's, he's just like, wants to bring about, like, un- unexist everything for some reason. I haven't got to the end of it, but we don't want to go too far into that yet because we only done two of the stories on the podcast, but... Right. Um... So let's talk about death and dying. Uh, 
this was a rough book to, to read, especially if you've lost anybody. And the descriptions, the extreme descriptions of the death and the burial and all that stuff. And the idea is this. If you lost your pet, would you bring it back? Your most beloved pet you ever owned, would you bring it back? My answer is no. If, well, I mean, if you, if you knew the consequences, I, of course, it'd be easy to say no, but what if you didn't know? No, I wouldn't do it anyway. Okay. But if my kid died, I would do it. Yeah. <laughs> just see, just like it's the same idea, to see what happens. And if they're too bad, I'll take, I'd bring them down, you know, I'd put them down. If they didn't come back and it wasn't them, I would do it. I would take the stench of death on them. I wouldn't. I can understand why Lewis did this. Yeah. I'm not trying to be mean, but I would not do that for my spouse, like how he brought Rachel to there at the end, unless he was doing that for Ellie. Yeah. But even then, I probably wouldn't do that in general. Um, but a child, yes, I would bring my child back because I, you know, we have late recently had a really bad loss in our family. It. Um, and I, I can very much understand the. I couldn't imagine the idea of my child being buried or down in the darkness or cremated or anything like that. So I would be running to the pet cemetery all day long. Yeah. So that's just my personal idea. Even if they stayed a child forever or if they grew up, I still would do it. And if they turn out to be so evil and unre- without the redemption, then maybe I would realize this, that sometimes dead is, death is just better. But at the end of the day, I would try the experiment like Lewis did, especially with him being a doctor. I would try the experiment. And he really did try the experiment, and he shut it down, except the problem is the chaos ensued before he could, too many casualties before he could undo it. You know, there's a, a, a theme throughout uh, books you'll see. I mean, I think of like O. Henry, the irony, you know, the irony of, of um you know, wanting something, and then when you get it, it's not what you wanted. Or yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's the statements like, uh, be careful what you wish for, you mm-hmm. just might get it. Uh, but, you know, there's a, a this is a recurring theme. Like with, uh, what's another one? With, uh, I think it's, is it witches? Like, I don't know if it's The Witcher or if it's, uh, but you see the same thing in, in different other uh you know, these fantasy books, whenever a life is resurrected, mm-hmm. you have to kill somebody. Somebody else has oh, to yeah. die. Another baby has to die for this baby to live or whatever. So yeah. there's always there's always like a yin and yang kind of thing. And yeah. so, you know, to even out. And so it's like, okay, you can have your cat back, but it's not going to be the same cat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or you can have your, your kid back. So, so is that so to add to that theory, do you think that the only way that that person, the other person could live again is... Like, they want to live again. Do you think maybe the Wendigo brought them back? And that person seems like they're getting the benefit, but it's actually the Wendigo tricking them into bringing back one of his servants? Because he was in control. It's an exchange, yeah. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like, the people think they're getting the benefit, but it's actually the Wendigo getting getting, uh, paid back his peeps. Yeah, it's like, bring bring all your dead here. I'll raise them. Yeah. I'm just not going to raise them with you. And the question then goes is, is there like an endless cycle of bodies being buried there? Do you know what I mean? Like the I bodies think, that were buried there before. I think all the bodies before. that were buried were buried and they're done. Yeah. I and mean, I think it was just the Native Americans, wasn't it? I mean, there was no. 
That well, they said they knew the place was older than that, but I think what happened was, is like you said, the native the Micmac. They must have found out what they were, and they sealed them off with some kind of like magic ritual that kept them dead. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because the Wendigo, apparently, the Wendigo's touch can bring you back to life, as well as cause you to be a um not a zombie, but a. Mm-hmm. A cannibal, which is weird because, you know, almost all zombies are cannibals of some kind. Any brains, any skin, whatever. It doesn't make any I don't, none of this makes any sense. Um, but anyway, but yeah, I would, uh, I hate to say that, but I would. I mean, I understand Lewis's thoughts exactly, but. So, um, you told me when we first started our Stephen King journey that you, you've been really quiet, which is ironic. This was your absolute one of your favorite books of all time, and that you've written it so many times. So, why is this your favorite book? Well, of the Stephen King books. Okay, but is. you said, but you've read it over and over again, right? I just, I've probably read it maybe four times. That's a lot for yeah, such for, a bad book, <laughs> such a dramatic book. I, you know, I, I just the story. You know, it's this, it's a, it's a, what's it called? Uh, one of those. Uh, it's a tale. Um, like an Aesop's fable, yeah, you know, kind of thing. You know, it's a what's it called a, for, a warning tale or, or what's it well, called? Yeah, all myth, all fairy tales are are types of warnings. Yeah, it's, yeah. What I'm saying is, that, you know, it's a it's one of those things you you learn uh, about. Like I said, this ongoing theme of you know, be careful what you wish for, and that how grief will drive you to do things yeah. that even that you know are not is not right, you know, is not yeah. gonna not gonna make a difference or or if anything is gonna be even worse. Yeah. Make the situation worse, you know. And but you still do it, you know. Yeah. Out of hopes that you know, something will change. But you just know you know, you know in your heart it's not gonna be good. You know yeah. the decision you make is not gonna be good. I mean it's like like I said with anything you you know you're making a mistake, but you you still have to you kind of have to do it. Yeah, you're forced to do it. So I guess that's it because you know you can see for me the Lewis character. You can see yourself, you know, in, yeah. the, in the character. I know I can. So it's you know anybody who's got children or you know or it, it tugs at their heart. And uh, and I thought I think I've seen the movie twice or three times. I've seen too. the movie so many times I don't yeah. even know. Yeah, and I and I, I'm a big fan of uh, of what's his name Gwyn, the uh, oh Herman, Herman Monster. Monster. Yeah, Herman Monster because he's only in a few films, yeah. and I love every film he's in. Yeah, he's in My Cousin Vinny is the yeah. judge, and, and he's in this and these couple couple other films, but he's not he's not in much. You know, he must have made some decent money doing the monsters because he, yeah, cause he, he didn't because he went behind the scenes. Yeah, after you that you didn't see him in anything else. Yeah, yeah hardly. But anyhow, uh, I think it was a Tony Quinn, not Tony Quinn. That's a baseball player. It's Something. Edward, right? Or Edwin? Is it Edwin? No, I don't think so. It's I bet you it is. Something Gwen. Well, anyway. Um, yeah, he did but, good. But yeah, like I said, I I could um, this. Oh, it's Fred Gwynn. Fred Gwynn. Okay, this story. Um, forget about the supernatural part of it. Without the supernatural part, the story itself is is uh, what drives you know drives it. Whether you know coming back to life and all that's all you know you know uh, superstition or or fantasy, but. 
the idea of can is there a way to get my child back? Yeah. Everybody wants to make this deal with God or with the devil. Yeah. You know what I mean? They make this deal like God, if you if you just let me live, then I'll you know I'll go to church every Sunday or whatever. You know the deals that people make with God. Yeah. And then some people, like I said, they'll make them with the devil. You know, I'll serve you, Satan, if you bring my child back. I mean, they'll, they'll, when you're in grief, you'll do the stupidest things. Knowing, yeah. Oh, okay, this is not, you're not going to get what you expected out of this deal. Yeah. But at all times, these types of deals are always insane. And at the end, Lewis was insane, just like Tammy's father was. His hair completely went white. And he was just taking Rachel up there, you know. Yeah. He was basically a zombie himself, even though he was alive. He basically wasn't alive. He was controlled completely by grief. Yeah. You know, and which so, is, I guess, the power of the Wendigo. Yeah, yeah. And um, in this story, I'm not saying it's like the Wendigo exclusively. Let's look up the Wendigo. But yeah, I just, you know, when I was younger, it's I did scary, not. It's a scary book. It's a very creepy yeah, It's creepy a creepy book. book. And like I said, The Shining, which is all, probably my favorite, uh, the thing I like about The Shining is it seems like something that can actually happen. Whereas Pet Cemetery, I don't believe that can happen. Where, yeah. But The Shining, the idea of someone going mad, you know, cabin fever. Yeah. And killing their family, whatever. That's documented, real, you know, all the other stuff, The Shining part of it, The Shining. I'm not into that yeah. as much. I mean, I'm into intuition. And I know you've heard of twins that, yeah. many, you know, separate parts of the country and they can kind of, if something happens and one twin will call the other twin say yeah. something just happened yeah grandma just died or whatever They'll, you know that kind of thing I could get but the whole shining thing I'm not a big fan of that yeah see so I'm a big fan of that whole psychic medium that stuff in Stephen King's universe that to me is interesting in the multiverses well it's interesting yeah creates. but I'm saying how real is it Oh, no, it's not real at all. Well, that's what I'm saying. So but, I'm interested in it. Of course, yeah, okay, that's what, what you're saying. saying. That has what, like what a realistic idea. What makes the shining idea. scary to me is that it's real. Yeah. This can really happen. Yeah. Where, and what I said, where, where the plot the plot hole for me in The Shining was when uh, the ghost opens the door uh, when he's trapped inside the, 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 uh, the pantry. Yeah. And the ghost opens the door. That kills it for me because now the ghost is involved and yeah. the supernatural is involved. My thing is if it would have just stayed a hallucination, that would have scared me worse. But when, yeah. you, when you start introducing the supernatural, then I'm not scared anymore because I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to happen or that yeah. didn't happen. Well, but a lot of people say that maybe she didn't close the door correctly, so you can yeah. still go but with then that thing. In the, in that the book, thing. They, it's real obvious in it's the book. Still, it's still the ghosts start showing up and oh, Wendy yeah. starts seeing ghosts and stuff, Oh, yeah, too. yeah. So now they're just, it's evident. You know, it's not in the person's mind. These are actually things happening. I was hoping, I would have hoped The Shining, I don't know if it could have been written that way, where the whole thing was an illusion. And he wakes up in a hospital? No, no, not that. But that, the, he killed, you know, tries to kill his family, does all yeah. that stuff. But it, none of it was ever real. It was all in his mind. Yeah, so he kills them thinking they're like a bug or whatever, just like people do when they're crazy. Yeah. They, they just, kill somebody. I've had clients uh, who have have tried to kill people in, um, without giving any confidential details, but... I've had clients who tried to kill people because they were having a schizophrenic psychosis episode, and they and they just didn't. They couldn't tell me why they did it. A lot of times they don't remember. They wake up later. Sometimes they do it, 
and they said, I, I don't know why, like, it was so reasonable to me at the time, you know. Once they get on their medicine, they're a lot better off, you know, in, in these cases. But some people, you can't help at all. Um, yeah, so I just looked at the Wendigo, and it basically is, I think it's the Native American way of dealing with famine. Because if it touches you, you become a cannibal. Mm. And that's the idea is, are you willing to eat a human or yeah, starve to death? Yeah. yeah, so... Um, all right. Well, I think that overall, uh, I think it's worth the read. Just uh, prepare yourself. And if you've ever lost a child uh, or somebody close to you that's like, especially children, because as a kid, I could have never understood this. When I watched the movie, I didn't get it. I just thought it was creepy. But now as an adult with the children, I get this idea of bringing the children back, not the wife, not the cat. Not the dog or the or the cow, <laughs> but yeah. So I get that now. So, but if you've lost somebody, you really don't need to read this book. It's too damn triggering. And um, we just had a loss recently, and it triggered the shit out of me. Um, but I had already planned to read it anyway, and I thought that it might help me deal with my grief to kind of explore that part that I'm going through with the loss in our family. And uh, with me, it was fine. It helped me work through it a little bit. But someone who was closer to it like that or hasn't dealt with it, I would not recommend you read this. Probably ever, because I don't think you can ever get over the death of a child. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, but if you otherwise, it's a pretty short read. It was only like 14 hours on the Audible. That's pretty quick for Stephen King. He just had it sitting in his drawer, and he pulled it up in the edit and got it ready. But and it turned out to be that's the story of the biggest smash hits are always like an afterthought. Yeah. So um, it's really his most famous. You'd be like, who would have known? Yeah, it's one <laughs> of his most famous. Uh, it's one of the top of his famous ones. So mm. anyway, so this is our big tribute to the big one this year, this season. Last season we did it. The first season we did The Shining. So this season is Pet Cemetery. And we'll, uh, there's a new series or movie that just came out or about to come out on a streaming service. And we're going to check that out. And, of course, we're going to watch the original well, movie. They, okay, I looked it up, too, and there's a film, 2019. Okay, so it is. But it, it must be a series that's coming out. It's a series. Then. Oh, okay. I don't know. Something's happening with it. And maybe it's already come out because I'm way behind the curve on this. I'm just now getting into Stephen King. But I'm going to go look it up. I know there's something going on because there's, like, a bunch of means with this old lady chasing and attacking people so i'm almost wondering if they decided in this one to make norma to have him bury norma or is it nightmares about norma or or are they changing zelda into an older person Mm. things like that you know they're changing it to make it scary Mm. because there's some creepy old woman running around terrorizing (laughs) people in this different version of pet cemetery so maybe it already exists and i just missed it or maybe Mm. It's go ongoing and it's about to have a new season. Maybe I don't Rachel know. Rachel got old. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't think about that. What if he finally picks it up? And I think that there would have been more chatter about it if it was that amazing. Yeah. But then I say that and no one even talks about how Stephen King is always using the N word. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? Who knows? All right. So, um,. I guess that's pretty much it for today. Uh, you guys, uh, check out the podcast. Um, keep watching us. We're uh, listening, but watch us for on TikTok and Twitter. I, um, we have an email. Um, you can go to our homepage to fi- figure all that out. 
I believe it's Kiss Me Fat Boy Podcast SK on TikTok. And it's if you'll see our you'll see our logo and then this on TikTok and then on um Twitter, which is now X, it's just just search for us. We're in the podcast world. Um, and of course I think our email is kissmefatboypodcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line, what reach out to us. We enjoy uh, doing this journey with you guys. Um, Have a great day. Say bye, Luch. Bye-bye.